Bible reading today comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. If you have one of these Bibles, it's on page 987. I presume it'll be on the screen behind me as well. Jesus is speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw other workers standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Uh, thanks very much. Well, it's great to be back with you again. Um, like I did last week, I'm going to pause at a couple of points during this talk and get you to talk about a couple of discussion questions with the person next to you. So like last week, I invite you to find, make sure you're sitting next to someone who you don't share a household with. Okay, that's the basic requirement here. Uh, sit next to someone and um, come close to the front if you can. I know some need to sit in the back, but if you don't, I'd like to be able to see your faces. And I will also bring around a handout for the talk um, and a copy of the newsletter I was referring to, okay? Okay, thanks very much for doing that. I really appreciate that. Um, as I said, the, the reason to get you to interact uh, with each other is so that what you hear today isn't just one in one ear and out the other, but a chance to reflect on how this actually applies for you. Uh, and we'll take questions at the end like we did last week. So if you have things, just store them up for when we get there. Now, what you were given as you uh, as they came around, firstly, a copy of Terrace Times. That's the newsletter I was referring to before. Just letting you know about stuff that's taking place on campus. Uh, you'll meet both Daniel and Lindsay, both of whom have become Christians in the last year uh, through the ministry of ES, through uh, just ordinary Christian kids trying to share the gospel with their friends. So this is wonderfully encouraging, but it is not to read now. If I see you reading it now... Uh, well, it doesn't matter if I see it, Jesus sees it. So don't read it now, okay? Take it home and be encouraged over lunch. Uh, the handout, uh, Bible passage on one side and on the reverse, 
an outline along with some blanks for you to fill in like we did last week. Um, as Luke indicated, we're making our way through Matthew 19 through 21, and the series is called Tell Me About the Kingdom of God. Um, we come to point, uh, talk number two, which I've headed, Why is God so unfair? Why is God so unfair? One of the biggest challenges for Christianity is the way in which the Bible seems to portray God as being unfair. He blesses some with health and wealth, much more than others. Isn't that unfair? He punishes a lifetime of sin with an eternity of condemnation. Isn't that unfair? Ultimately, he chooses to save some, but not all. Isn't that unfair? I realize the great offense and outrage in our day and age is around unfairness about discrimination, non-inclusiveness, and especially inequality. Hence the push for racial equality, or gender equality, or marriage equality. Nothing riles us more than unequal treatment. And I think you see that most powerfully in families. You see it in the protest that lies behind every conflict between every set of siblings that have ever lived, no matter what your birth order, the complaint is always the same. I hear the smirks and the chuckles. That's not fair. Whether you're the youngest child who has always been stuck with hand-me-down clothes or, more importantly, phones, or the oldest child who's always blamed when there's a fight, you ought to be the responsible one. And yet you have to watch as your younger siblings get the same privileges it took you years to receive. Or if you're the middle child, well, actually, everyone just forgot about you. It's not fair, is it? In this week's passage, Jesus is going to tackle this question, is God fair? It's just one episode today, and we'll work through it in what I've called five acts, and then we'll try and apply it to our context. So, here we go, hearing the parable, hearing the parable, Act 1, the setup. Verses 1 and 2. For the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them to sent them into his vineyard. Okay, Jesus starts by painting a picture of the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. Although to be honest, it's not really what you expect. I alluded to this last week in question time. Normally we imagine heaven as a place where you're just lounging around, not doing very much. Or, if I can call it this, in the super spiritual Christian version, the kingdom of heaven is like a never-ending worship service uh, that that either fills you with dread or delight. Instead, the picture that Jesus paints of the kingdom of heaven here is of work. But it's not toil or futility, or exploitation. Rather, it's a picture of gainful employment, of something which is useful and valuable and productive and beneficial. That, of course, is the polar opposite to idleness, isn't it? It affirms something about our humanity, about the way in which God has made us. I see this every year, actually. After four months of summer holidays, 
I love how the university students are actually keen for classes, although it doesn't last for more than a week. Now, to note the obvious, in the parable, it's clear that from the outset, people are not treated equally. People are not treated fairly because only some get hired. And we'll discover later in the parable that there are many laborers still standing around. But the lucky ones, first thing in the morning, they have work. They have work for this day, and in an agrarian society, well, a day laborer had to find work each day or else they didn't eat. The other point to note is that in the parable so far, there's no suggestion, no hint that the landowner is exploiting his workers. It'll help you to hear that at the time, the going rate for a day labourer was one denarius. That was, we might say, the award wage. And the landowner agrees to pay it. And that means that so far, at least in the setup to this story, there is nothing unusual. You see, an employer has promised to pay his employees their full entitlements. I get that that can be topical from time to time when we see the awful cases of companies not meeting their contractual obligations. But this story isn't controversial, not in any way, not yet. So act two then, the twist, the twist. Pick it up with me in verse three. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Okay, the twist. Well, the twist, uh, when it comes, actually has nothing to do with the initial labour hire agreement. The twist is caused by the landowner going back to the marketplace four times more across the course of the day, at 9, at 12, at 3, at 5. So now he has five different groups of labourers in his vineyard, all working for different hours. Uh, Once again, a couple of observations. Firstly, the unanswered question in this whole story is why? Why does he go back to get more workers? Because if you assume that he got all the labour he needed first time around at the start of the day, and clearly there was no shortage of labourers, why does he need more? Well, I think actually it's a hint as to his character. The landowner doesn't need more workers But this is a man who is compassionate and generous. This is a person who delights to show unexpected grace and unmerited favour. And the way he does so, well, it's not just to hand out cash, because that might feel like pity or charity. Rather, he affords the dignity of work and again affirms their humanity. Mind you, there is one possible problem looming. What if you noticed it? He doesn't actually specify how much he will pay those those workers. Do you see that? Verse 4, he says, I will pay you whatever is right. Now, at this point, the union rep 
sits up. Hello, what's going on here? Is the landowner just looking to shortchange them because he knows that they're going to be more desperate as the day unfolds and therefore they'll work for proportionally less? Well, we'll see. But I think it's fair to say that, for you and I at least, our working assumption is that for those who are hired later, who did less, they'll probably get paid less than a denarius. That sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? They haven't worked as long. You work half a day, you should get half a denarius. A quarter of a day, a quarter of a denarius, and so on. Well, Act 3, the surprise. Pick it up in verse 8. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Okay, so here's the surprise, of course. When he calls in the labourers in reverse order in terms of how long they've actually worked, he pays the ones who did, it turns out, only one hour. They did only one hour. How much? A whole denarius. Now just pause for a moment, if you will, and I wonder, how do you think that group of workers reacted at this point? Well, presumably, it was sheer disbelief. In fact, overwhelming joy. So they'd only worked for one hour out of 12, so my guess is they were expecting one twelfth of a denarius. Instead, they've been blessed with an unexpected windfall gain. And that means, I think, that whilst all this is taking place, I presume that the ones who worked the longest, those who worked all day, they were subtly, or perhaps not so subtly, licking their lips and counting the denarii in their head. After all, if these guys got a whole denarius for just one hour's work, imagine how much we stand to reap now. So what happens? Act 4, the outrage. Verse 10. So when those who came who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Verse 10, each of them also received one denarius. Oh, the outrage, the grumbling, the misery. Although, to be fair, their complaint is not particularly surprising, is it? Because their logic is, we did more, we deserve more. We did more, we deserve more, never mind the fact that they're getting paid exactly what they had agreed in the first place, one denarius. Lots of the students I work with have part-time jobs. Most of them are in retail. Most of them don't particularly love their jobs, I've got to say. I know pretty confidently how they would react if I posed this scenario. Imagine you spent an eight-hour shift and discovered at the end of the day that a co-worker who got called in for 30 minutes to cover the lunchtime breaks got paid exactly the same amount as you did. It's not very hard to work out their reaction, is it? That's not fair. 
that's not fair. Uh, Never mind, of course, that, well, back at the start of the day, first thing in the morning, when they were one of the lucky few who got hired, I suspect they weren't complaining, that's not fair. Never mind the fact that they agreed to work for one denarius and they got paid one denarius. Now, I don't know. I don't know if I'm missing something here. That sounds like the definition of fairness to me. They agreed to something and they got it. But of course, we all know what's going on, don't we? The unexpected windfall gain that others have received hasn't become a good news story to celebrate. I'm so thrilled for you. Rather, it's just made them bitter. It's as if they're the ones who have missed out. I still remember when I finished year 12. I did my final exams and uh, I had two friends. Let's call them Scott and Steve. Uh, We both went through school together Scott, let's just say, was the kind of student who wasn't particularly, uh, didn't have a great aptitude, but he slaved his guts out for years to get the best possible mark that he could for university. And I still remember standing next to him on the day in which he opened his results, because I'm old enough that they actually had these things called letters and mail that they sent you and you had to open them. We opened ours together and he looked at his result and the the look of delight on his face, because he got actually more than he'd ever hoped for, but it was in many ways a fair recognition of how hard he'd worked. This is about 10 o'clock in the morning. He was over the moon. That lasted until about 11 o'clock when we ran into Scott, uh, into Steve, who, to be fair, did nothing for his entire degree, uh, his entire time at school except play sport. Did not a single thing and got exactly the same mark as Scott. I still remember Scott turning to me and saying, that's not fair. Well, let's come then to the punchline. Act 5. But Jesus answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus is adamant. You cannot call the landowner unfair. Now, it's true, he hasn't treated his workers equally. Equality would mean, I presume, paying them according to their efforts. Those who work longer should receive more. But you cannot call him unfair because he's paid them a wage which is both appropriate and which they'd all agreed on in the first place. His only unfairness, if you can call it that, his only unfairness, I think, has been to show unexpected generosity to the latter workers a generosity in abundance to bless them with an unexpected windfall gain. And the key, of course, lies in verse 15. Verse 15, he has the right to do what he wants with his own money. What he really, really wants is to be generous. 
Okay, let me pause for a moment. You'll see I've got a discussion question there for you on your handout. The question is, and you'll understand why I'm asking this in a moment, with which of the workers in this story do you most resonate? With which of the workers in this story do you most resonate and why? Okay, two minutes. Person next to you, chat away. I'll call us back together in a moment. Okay, thank you very much. All right, uh, mostly for my interest, I'm going to conduct a survey at this point. I'm going to ask you, do you resonate most with those who worked the longest, those are hard first, or those who worked the least, those are hard last? Okay, first of all, those who worked longest um, and were hard first, who resonates most with them? Okay, and what about those who... Um, those who worked least and who resonates most with them. Okay, interesting. Hmm, a lot of firstborn children here, I reckon, in this room. Oh, sorry, I'm a firstborn child, I can say that. Now, obviously in the parable, the landowner represents God and the workers represent us. And the point of me asking you that discussion question is that how you respond says something about how you see God. How you respond, the group with which you most resonate tells you something about how you see God. So if you look at God through the eyes of the all-day workers, the ones who toil through the heat of the day, then even though we get what we've been promised, if others are more fortunate, we can start to feel that we've been shortchanged, as if we've missed out. On the other hand, if you through the eyes of those who've only worked one hour, well, what you see, actually, is that we've been treated with unbelievable generosity when we had no right to expect it. What I think Jesus is doing in this parable is trying to shift our perspective. He's trying to change our perspective on God. And here are the blanks for you to fill in from God treating us, in talking marks, fairly to rejoicing that God treats us with unexpected generosity. God treats us with unexpected generosity. Jesus is saying that God is fair. I mean, those first workers were treated fairly, you could say. But Jesus is saying, if I can put it this way, God is more than fair. He is unexpectedly and unbelievably generous. That's how the last workers were treated. God is generous to all, in fact. On this day, everyone got work. Everyone could put food on the table that night. And just because some didn't have to toil as long for it is not a criticism of God, but rather a testimony to his abundant, overflowing goodness. It is as if God cannot help himself. He cannot keep it in. He longs to bless. And that's, I think, the point of verse 16 and how the parable ends. The last will be first and the first will be last. This is one of those phrases which is so often misunderstood. Jesus is not saying God rewards mediocrity or lethargy. My wife was reminding me of this the other day when she was reflecting on a time when she got so unbelievably frustrated at our children when they were infants because one day... 
Every single one of them refused to get out of the car. None of them came to the dinner table and they took forever to eat their dinner. And she couldn't work out why until she asked them and rather smugly and primly, they all replied, well, the first will be last and the last will be first. That's not the comment that Jesus is making here. He's not saying drag your heels. Rather, Jesus is reminding us that the kingdom of heaven is not a meritocracy. The kingdom of heaven is not a meritocracy. God does not reward us simply on the basis of effort expended. Rather, he gives generously when we least expect it, even when we don't deserve it. I think in the end it depends on how you look at the bar. Do you know what I mean? If this is how much God promises to give, and if he does give everyone this much, then even if they've done less to deserve it, that doesn't make him unfair in any way. Jesus is saying God wants to be overwhelmingly generous, not barely adequate or legally minimalist. And if that means that in the end he is extra generous to some, why not accept it? Why not be thankful instead of complaining about it or criticising the benefactor for how he chooses to exercise kindness? True. You might wonder why he chooses to bless some more than others. But that's up to him, and you cannot accuse him of being stingy. Uh, Once again, I think the NIV, unfortunately, gets the heading wrong. I printed the heading there for you. This is the one that's in the Bibles, if you have one open. It's called The Parable of the Workers in the Vineyard. I think that's entirely the wrong heading for this passage. Here's what I think the heading should be. It should be called The Parable of the unexpectedly and unbelievably generous landowner who can't give it away fast enough. That's my paraphrase. Do you like it? But that would make the point, wouldn't it? This is a parable not about our meanness. This is a parable about God's extraordinary grace. So let me finish then with two very brief implications. One about who we are as believers and one about how we relate to those who aren't yet believers. First implication about who we are as believers. Well, Jesus is reminding us that in the kingdom of heaven, the first will be last, the last will be first. As I said last week, that means, this is wonderful news, that means in the kingdom of heaven, the rich and powerful don't always come first. That is so different from every society on earth. Likewise, on a global scale, where we see a few countries that have so much compared with most that are endlessly crippled by poverty and unable to repay debt. That's why there is the saying, the rich get richer and the poor get the picture and some things never change. But the future picture of the kingdom of heaven, it really ought to shape our current expectations as well. So what I think that means is that for Christians, 
there really is no place for comparison. In fact, there ought be no need for comparison. When God blesses others, even more than he appears to bless us, we ought be happy for them. And we have a choice to make. Here's the choice. Will we choose to be thankful for everything he has given us, even if it's different? Even if it's different? Because any other response, I say this as gently but as firmly as I can, any other response is godless ingratitude. An implication for us as believers, what about an implication for those who aren't yet believers? Well, Jesus, I think, is proclaiming this kind of kingdom because that's the kind of king he is. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, all are welcome. And that means that all are invited. I want to say to us, we ought to do everything we can to tell others about what our generous God is like. We'll do anything we can to invite them to join us in enjoying his bounty, to do anything necessary to share in this unexpected windfall gain. Ultimately, that's the core conviction and first step behind evangelism. It's longing for others to meet this God who dishes out immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine in ways that we cannot even begin to fathom. And especially when we have no right to expect it. I realise this leaves unanswered some questions about God's character, but surely this is a good starting point for us. As we speak with our classmates, our workmates, our friends, our family, surely what we want to say is, come and meet this person who has the most extraordinary things to give because you don't want anyone to miss out. Perhaps that's what lies behind the way in which Matthew will conclude his account of Jesus' life in chapter 28, with Jesus urging his disciples to make more disciples. It's what lies behind, as I said at the start, uh, in that brief profile, behind ES, in trying to reach the many, many students who don't yet know how good our God is. Well, a couple more minutes then, just with the person next to you, you'll see one last question. What's appealing about this picture of God to an unbeliever? And what's not? And why? A couple of minutes, just to talk with the person next to you and then we'll take any questions. Over to you. Okay, thanks everyone. Um, thanks for taking the time to have those conversations. Um, we're going to sing in a few minutes, but before we do, just a chance if there's any questions, things you'd like to ask from the passage today.